Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Dilemmas. Dilemmas. Life is filled with dilemmas. Definition of dilemma. An argument presenting two or more equal conclusive alternatives against an opponent. A choice between equally unsatisfactory alternatives. You're going, huh? Dilemma. You have two choices and you can't make up your mind which. There's not a clear winner. And maybe both are losers. And you're in a dilemma. For me, I have discovered that dilemmas seem to be a regular occurrence in my life. Very little, it seems, is clearly black and white, if it only were. But there's a lot of gray, and it leaves you perplexed as to which way to go. You are facing a, everybody say it together, dilemma. It's a dilemma. The title of my message this morning is Joy, because the book of Philippians is about joy. Last week we talked about joy is not a choice, or joy is a choice. Joy is not based on circumstances, joy is a choice. But the joy of the Lord is a supernatural thing that God gives to each one willingly. And he is able to do so. Joy, different than happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy isn't. To live a life of joy. And joy is important to have joy. People are looking for joy. You know, we are people to live according to purpose. We're people to live according to joy. Purpose is real cognitive. It's about your choices. It's about your uh, plans. But you can have a lot of purpose in life and be living a good purpose-filled life, but be absent of joy. And, and people around you kind of go, I really don't want to do that because I don't want to be miserable like you. But to have joy, now that's a different story. To see joy, to live joy, to be a part of a community of joy givers. And therefore, we can rejoice. Joyful people rejoice. Not superficially, not put on, not making it up, but they truly are joy-filled people. Uh, So how can we have joy in the midst of dilemmas? Dilemmas, those problems. Maybe you can sympathize with Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown cartoon. Let me tell you a cartoon this morning before we go any further. I like Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown and Lucy are having this conversation. And in this conversation, Lucy is giving a philosophical approach, and Charlie is listening, as usual. And Lucy is, she has the floor. She's delivering one of her dogmatic lectures at Charlie. Charlie's just despondent. He's just standing. His shoulders are drooped. And Lucy's telling him the way it is. Now we pick it up. Charlie Brown, she begins. Life's a lot like a deck chair. Some people place their deck chair to face where they're going. Others place it to face where they have been. And some place their deck chair so they can see where they are at present. Poor Charlie just sighs and says... I can't even get mine unfolded. You ever been there? Seems like everything's in place. 
You can't even get your deck chair open. You're in a dilemma. Because it's not working the way it ought to work. The way others have told you it should work. And you're facing a very difficult time. And it's a joy stealer. Huge joy stealer. And so I want to pick this story up in Philippians chapter 1. You have it, verse 21. We're going through again the book of Philippians. I encourage you to read it in your private time. We started the first part. We're going to pick up the second part of chapter 1 this week. Verse 21. Follow along with me. Just read it. For to me to live is Christ, Paul says. And to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart, be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and, there it is, joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Again, what I want to talk about this morning is how can you have joy in the midst of life's dilemmas? Let me just pray and just open this time up in prayer. Father, we ask of you that you would help us to understand what Paul is saying. He's not a sadistic person. He's not a suicidal person. He's not just simply wanting to die. He's faced with some real-life situations that are not clearly marked. And he is identifying, as he speaks to these Philippians, that, that they don't have to have an attitude that is going to drag them down. They can actually live a life of joy. They can live life of joy. Help us, God, to know what that means. Help us to see what he's saying. Help us to understand and help us to apply it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There are joy stealers. I want to identify three joy stealers this morning. They will steal your joy. And they do steal your joy. And they are stealing joy. Three of them. Number one, volitional dilemmas. These are all dealing with dilemmas. Volitional dilemmas. You're going, well, what's a volitional dilemma? Well, volitional dilemma occurs when you want to do two different things at the same time. You want to do two different things at the same time. You have a volitional dilemma. We give examples. Young married couple. They want to establish a career. They want to get a foundation financially. And yet, they also want to start a young family. They want to have children. Career, money, stability, the joy of children. Dilemma. Another example. You have a full-time job, you have a part-time job. You wish you were full-time at your part-time job and you wish you were part-time at your full-time job. Dilemma. I asked the question, what dilemmas are you facing? What volitional dilemmas might you be facing? What are you up against? Things that you want to do, two different things at the same time because they'll steal your joy. They'll just reach right in and pull out your joy that God wants you to live in faith. Volitional dilemma. The second stealer of joy is emotional dilemmas. And this is a higher stake joy stealer because it has to do with your emotions. You feel this. I mean, the other one, 
these, these things you want to do. But this one here, you feel it. It's intense. It's toxic to your soul. Let me give some illustrations of emotional dilemmas where your feelings are involved. Maybe you're dealing with a rebellious son or a rebellious daughter, and they have moved away from you. You don't get along. They haven't talked to you. They've got an attitude. But all of a sudden, they're reaching back, and they're asking you for financial help. But you know if you give them financial help, they will squander it. Emotional dilemma. You love them. But you're not getting along, and if you help them to what they're asking, you might alleviate the immediate problem, but you've just created a bigger problem. Emotional. Uh, gray area. Another emotional dilemma might be your child is maybe becoming quickly rebellious. They have some friends at school that are pulling them away, pulling them away from you, pulling them away from their faith. Do you try to work it through with them? You've tried. Or do you pull him or her out of school, maybe homeschool, Christian school, or move them to another school? Emotional dilemma. There you go. Not an easy answer. And it steals you of your joy. Don't sleep well, and it rips your heart out. And there's a geographical dilemmas. Geographical dilemmas occur when you desire to be at two places at the very same time. Um... An example of that, maybe you love where you live, but it would prove to be financially better if you move somewhere else. Geographical dilemma. You love where you are, but maybe you should move. Three dilemma stealers. Now, I want to go back to the scripture. For Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Back to verse 21, here it is. Paul says, for me... He's using his life as an illustration. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? And he admits, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So here is the dilemma. Paul, his absolute dearest closest friend is his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul has had a very, very rough life. Paul is not simply saying, I'm going to throw up my hands and I'm just going to lay down and wait till I die. No, people were actively trying to take his life. He had to fight tooth and nail in order to stay alive. Quite different to us. I mean, we don't. No, most of us here don't have to fight tooth and nail just to stay alive one more day. But Paul did. There was people all around him trying to take his life. He was actually in prison, had been for almost two years at the point of this writing. They tried to kill him multiple times. He had to be clever and wise in order to avert death. And yet here's the situation. His absolute lover of his soul is his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's the dilemma. Jesus Christ, to be with him, is in heaven. To be with him, to walk with him, to fellowship is, is like heaven. He could go to be with him, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's his longing, the dilemma. To go to be with Christ is in heaven. No one brings him greater joy than the Lord, yet Jesus is not walking this earth right now. 
Paul just wanted to be with him. He longed for him. His dilemma, to die, to be gain. But, but, dilemma. His work on earth is not done. I want to look for a moment, because let's take a look at this situation of Paul's. I want to look at the liabilities and benefits on both sides. Okay? Let's look at, first of all, the benefits. To depart. There's some benefits to, to depart, Paul is thinking. Again, remember, he's not sadistic. He's not suicidal. He's just like, should he just surrender and just let them take him and die? Uh, because to do that, here's the benefits. He would be with Jesus immediately. That's a good benefit. He'd be free from earth's hassles and limitations and pains and frustrations. And he's got a boatload of them. He's got a boatload of problems. He is so beat up in his body. And he would experience unending peace and joy. It's a benefit to be with his Lord. But there's some liabilities to depart. Here's the liabilities. If he departs, he'd be absent from those who really do need him. He'd be gone. No second chances. He would no longer be able to witness to the Roman guards. If you were with us last week, we talked about how in life, when we live by joy, we stop asking the questions, why is this happening to me? We stop asking those questions. And we instead start asking, how are my circumstances going to get used for the glory of God? And he was in prison. He was chained to Roman guards. And what Paul was doing, he wasn't saying, how come God you're doing this to me? He was saying, why this guard? There's got to be a reason it's this guy. And he took opportunity because this guard is chained to him to share love to this guy. And why am I chained to this guard? And his whole outlook changed. Instead of asking the why, how come God, he's saying, Lord, you've got these people here for a reason. You see, if he was to depart, he would no longer be able to witness to these guards and these guards need him. And his missionary outreach would stop the moment he died. Now let's talk about some benefits and liabilities if he remains. If he remains, the benefits if he remains here, he would have a hand in the spiritual growth of many. He has been the spiritual father of many people. The benefits of remaining, his vision to reach the world would continue. He can continue to do it. The benefits of remaining, his writing ministry would go on. Be thankful Paul had a good writing ministry. Most of our New Testament is his writing ministry. And he could continue to write and inspire and encourage and admonish. It would continue. Benefit of remaining. But the liability of remaining is he'd be absent from his heavenly home. The liability of remaining, he would continue to be in prison. He doesn't know for how long. The liability is his pain would continue every single day. Liability. So according to Paul's own testimony in verse 22, Paul makes this rare admission. He says, I don't know what to choose. Dilemma. I don't know what to choose. Both make sense. Neither would be wrong. Here's the thing. This whole point. The Lord must choose. This is the whole point of what Paul is saying. The Lord must choose. Beloved, this morning, listen. When you arrive at such dilemmas in life, you are facing a test. Make no mistake, you're facing a test. And here's the test. The test is, will you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit to guide you? Or 
Will you act according to what you want and what you now desire? We all face the test. I'm going to suggest we face it multiple times every week. I'm going to suggest you may face it multiple times every day. Tests of dilemmas. And how you decide, again, joy, joy, joy stealers, will determine the joy of the Lord in the middle of these tests. It's easy for me to say it, I know, this morning. And it's tough to submit yourself to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I know that because that's true for me. It's easier for me just to say, no, I want this. And to then justify it. It's a lot harder for me to submit and say, God, I'm going to slow it down. I'm going to stop it. Lord, what are you telling me? What are you showing me? And slow it down. There's a big difference between them. There's a big difference between natural wisdom, which is fleshly, and a big difference between Holy Spirit-led godly wisdom. Big difference. There's a big difference between just wisdom because it based on common sense often. And common sense is not bad. But common sense is not always best. You see, common sense is based on your five senses. And your five senses, after all, are physical. It's what looks right. It's what sounds right. And so it's based on your senses, and you make a decision based on that. But what Paul is saying, no, we must ask God, what is your plan for me? Godly. Wisdom. That's the test. Do it what makes sense or slow down. Ask Holy Spirit, show me what you're showing me. And ask for some confirmation. Holy Spirit, lead me into godly wisdom. You see, natural wisdom is sensual wisdom led by your flesh. James chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to read this. James 3, 13. James has some really good words on this, both manly wisdom, fleshly wisdom, and godly wisdom. Here he is, James 3, 13, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Note that. He's saying, listen, you're going to prove it by the life lived and humility. He goes, but if you harbor bitter envy, Selfish ambition in your heart. Now, those things are not immediately obvious, are they? Bitter envy is not immediately obvious. Selfish ambition is not immediately obvious. You begin to see it over time. If you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual. Oh, listen to this one. It's of the devil. He nails it. For where you have envy, selfish ambition, where it's Fleshly, where you have that, you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Central wisdom says that if it feels good, you better do it. Not only that, it's also based on information gathered again by your senses. It places a higher plane of feeling over faith. Here's what I feel, but we need to live by faith. Verse 17, I'm going to read it again. And we could unpack this and spend a whole time just around these words. Here's what godly wisdom, wisdom from heaven is first. He says, number one, number one is pure. 
And then, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy. Do you see how it's others-centered? Others-centered. You see, our wisdom will be you-centered. Godly wisdom will be others-centered. Full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. First Peter chapter 5, Peter had something to say about this. He said in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up when? When it's right. Not when you want. I've got this expression. It was told to me a long time ago, and I've discovered it is so true. God is never in a hurry, but He's always on time. He's never in a hurry. In other words, I'll want it done now, sooner, and many times he's saying no. I'm going to do it later. But he's always on time. His timing's perfect. That's why the very first thing it talks about, it's pure. It's dead on right. And so therefore, humble yourself. You submit under his mighty hand, and he will lift you up in his time. Verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him. Now, does it say cast some of your anxiety? Did it say cast the overflow of your anxiety? Did it say cast the little anxiety and you look after the big ones? Or did it say cast the big ones and you look after the little ones? It says cast all your anxiety on the Lord because He cares for you. So first of all, you've got to get that established. Understand, He really does care for you. Some of us, that's a breakthrough in itself. If you've come from a religious background where God is going to get you, you'll have a hard time with this. Because fundamentally, you don't trust Him. But He cares for you. A lot of that was not of God when you heard that He's going to get you. He's not going to get you. He is going to free you. The enemy, your soul, wants to get you. Be careful of the lies we sometimes believe. Cast, the word cast is a fishing term. It's like when you got your fishing pole and you cast your line. You thrust it. It's a picture of a ball or a rock and you thrust it. You throw it hard with everything in you. Cast. Throw all your anxiety. Throw it. As soon as you know it's beginning to build up, begin to throw it on Him, Lord Jesus. I, and you move into that place of beginning to cast it on Him. Cast all your cares on Him, for He cares for you. And when you do that, you will exchange your anxiety, your dilemmas, your situations for His joy. There's how you live a life of joy. You'll exchange your anxiety for His joy. You will let go and you will let God. You heard that one, right? Let Him take charge. Easier said than done. Yes, a lot easier. And it will go beyond your level of patience and immediate gratification. But that's okay because you're after the joy. You're not after for a quick fix. That keeps you locked into your dilemmas. You're after the joy of the Lord. I, I came across a story. It was an excellent piece written by a Nebraskan friar in a monastery. So you need to, in case you missed that, I'm going to say it again. Monastery. I don't know if you've ever been in a monastery. I've not been in a monastery be honest, I wouldn't mind visiting one one day, but I'd be afraid I don't. I want to make sure I can leave. Okay, monastery is very closed and very religious, very it's filled with a bunch of don'ts. It's filled with a bunch of don'ts, right? You got to live up to this place of, of righteousness and, and many times earning it. And 
And it's, it's the idea of it's going to rid you of your flesh in these monasteries, which doesn't really work because we take our flesh in with us. So, but here, okay, I wanted to say it again. So here this, you have this uh, picture here of, let me get rid of this here thing if I can figure out how to do it. Okay. Nebraskan friar in a monastery. Here's what he says. If I had my life to live over again, I'd try to make more mistakes next time. Now, I said this in the first service. I'm going to say it again. Mom and Dad, you might want to plug your children's ears at this point. Okay. I just, this guy is just really into it. I try to make more mistakes next time. Listen to this one. Nebraskan friar in a monastery. I would relax. I would limber up. I would be sillier than I've been on this trip. I know a very few things I would take seriously. I would take more trips. I would be crazier. I would climb more mountains, swim more rivers, watch more sunsets. I would do more walking and looking. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. I would have more actual troubles and fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who live life sensibly hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I've had my moments, and if I had to do it over again, I'd have more of them. In fact, I'd try to have nothing else, just moments, one after another, instead of living so many years ahead each day. I've been one of those people who never go anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a gargle, a raincoat, aspirin, and a parachute. If I had to do it over again, I would go places, do things, travel lighter than I have. If I had my life to live over, I would start barefooted earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I would play hooky more. I wouldn't make such good grades except by accident. I would ride on more merry-go-rounds, and I'd pick more daisies from this monk. Now, I just know some of us hearing, even just tolerating ideas of playing hooky and picking, going out just hanging out picking daisies, it's like, <gasps> and admittedly, I'm going to say this, because many of you are thinking it, some people have taken this too far. It's true. Nevertheless. Many need to be reminded that life is more than just hard work and serious decisions and ultra-tense situations. They'll steal your joy. They'll steal your joy. I like what the psalmist says in Psalms 127, verse 2. He gives to his beloved even in his sleep. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So where did the Apostle Paul fit into all this? Verse 25, chapter 1. And convinced of this, Paul says, I know that I shall remain and continue with you. Continue with you all for your progress and joy in the face so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Listen to what Paul said there. Somehow God got through to Paul his thick head, his plan. Paul, listen, I want you to remain. And Paul closes off in verse 27. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my, pre- in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. You will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. Note, others cannot be responsible for your joy. They just can't. You see, you and I, people, we have a tendency to want to extract life's fulfillment from two sources. We want to extract my fulfillment from people and things. I want to get my purpose and fulfillment from, let's talk about people, from my wife. I think I can get my fulfillment from my husband. Or your children. Your children will fulfill you. Or your parents will. Your friends will be fulfillment. If you have the right friends, they'll fulfill you. But here's the, here's the truth. They will all fail you. You know why? Because they fail themselves. They will fail you. Or I'm going to get my fulfillment from things. I'll get my fulfillment from things like my work. So we work, 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 work. Or money. Money will make me happy if I have more of it. I have to admit, it doesn't hurt unless we put our trust in money. Our house, sports, car. I'm going to put this one up. Somebody was just telling me, uh, just talking this last week, because you know we're in a pandemic time. and Some people, listen here, some people are putting their faith in having a vaccine. That'll fix everything. And and I remember somebody saying, be careful that you don't put your trust in things. You put your trust in the Lord. Whatever you find yourself in now, so we're leaning ahead. The profession, the medical profession will fix us. No, the Lord. Every day. The Lord provides for me. It doesn't mean be stupid. But... My Lord is my provider. Things. We think our fulfillment will come through things. But guess what? Work, money, house, sports, cars, all these will fail you because they can be stolen, they can be lost, they will rust, they will do all the... They can't fulfill. Only God is the constant for joy. So the question this morning is, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you in your dilemmas? What's the Holy Spirit directing you in where you can find the joy of the Lord? When we submit to his will, trade our anxieties, we will have joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. There's a song that we sang a number of years ago. I'm trading my sorrow. I'm trading my shame. I'm laying it down. Somebody fill it it in for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my pain. I'm laying it down again. For the joy of the Lord. And we say, yes, Lord. I'm pressed but not crushed. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, but I am not destroyed. I'm blessed. I like this. I think we sing it. We don't realize what we say. I'm blessed beyond the curse. I'm blessed beyond the curse. The curse doesn't hold me down. We're all cur- We're under the curse of sin. But I'm blessed beyond the curse. I'm blessed beyond the curse. For his promise will endure. And his joy is going to be my strength. 
Though the sorrows may last for the night, finish it with me, his joy comes in the morning. Comes in the morning. Right now might be nighttime. It's lasting. I feel it. I want to. But his joy is beyond that. Let's have the joy of the Lord. I really think this is the word of the Lord for us. Nothing can steal that joy. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.